That's next Sunday. December. I mean, where did it go? All your Christmas shopping done? Everybody done? How many went out Black Friday? I mean, I really want to know. I mean, middle of the night went out Black Friday. Are you kidding me? Did you support Small Business Saturday? How many did that? One of the things I always love to do more than anything else. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're looking forward to a great time together here this morning. I was trying to save my voice so that I could be able to speak twice, but that music was so unbelievably good, I couldn't stop. What a great morning to be here. We're delighted to have you. Trust that everything's going well. That's next Sunday night. It's going to be a great concert. Over 400 tickets have been sold so far. Still not too late, so we'd love for you to get one. Walk out these doors, see somebody there about the Josh Wilson concert. Call us. Go to his website. Just a great way to start the Christmas season with Christmas music. And that's next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We're looking forward to a great time and trust you are as well. A lot of information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you won't miss out on a thing. We're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to actually end it today and set it aside for a while. When I began in August, I'd anticipated that I'd be done sometime in October. And here we are headed to November, December, and I'm not done yet. So there's one piece on spiritual warfare that is so powerful And some of the best things that Paul wants to tell us in regards to preparing for the things that go on around us, that I want to make sure I spend adequate time with that. So we're going to set it aside, pick up there in January. Love to see you. Our Christmas Eve services, everything's been announced. You saw the banner on the way in. Trying to tighten things up a little bit this year. So look at those times very, very carefully so you won't miss out on any event. It is going to be a spectacular night. You think last year's was good? Wait till you see this year's. You don't want to miss out on it. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about family and family dynamics. We've walked our way through every single section of the book of Ephesians, and here we are now in chapter 6, kind of ending it for a while, setting it aside, as Paul talks to us about family dynamics. You already know this, but some of the greatest experiences of your life come within the context of family. Some of the most unbelievable memories you've had, some fun things you've done, some memories that you've built up through the years, and now when you get together on Thanksgiving or Christmas, you talk about those, and you begin to celebrate those, and you share what you had, and what you did, and how much fun it was, and maybe you got together with a mom, or a dad, or a grandparent over this past week, and you just began to rehearse in your mind some incredible things in your journey with God, and your journey with them. Not everybody is there, obviously, and I know that. Some were alone. Some had no one to celebrate with. We all talk about celebrations and events like that, but there were some people that didn't have a whole lot of people to be with on Thursday or Friday or Saturday. You also know that some of the most painful moments of our lives come within the context of family relationships. I had a really good friend who lost his wife on Tuesday. Being able to say, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, as you've heard me say before, and then watch a guy by the name of Rick mean that all the way to the very end and love her to the end was incredible to watch. But these last few days and even singing together this morning as I greeted him, I realized how painful family relationships can be. Some of you have prodigal sons and daughters. Some of you talked to me about them last Sunday morning. Yeah, that son of your daughter you've been praying for for a long period of time, and they just right now are resisting. I had a gal come to me this morning after the first service who had been praying with her son and for her son since he was born. Believe me, he's a lot further along the way now 
probably somewhere in his 40s or 50s. And just this Thanksgiving weekend, he told her on Thanksgiving Day, just so you know, I came to faith in Christ. You imagine what her Thanksgiving was in celebration of that event. Now, not everybody has that. And that prodigal and that prodigal son or prodigal daughter is still wandering away from God. And that parent has spent excruciating hours on her knees before Almighty God. Waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment when they share what God did. For the testimonies that we heard on Wednesday night when we gathered together. Single moms all over an audience like ours who would love to have family relationships. Would love to have a father take spiritual responsibility for the family and they're not. They're taking the ultimate responsibility for both sides of that, trying to do the best they possibly can. Some of them are single moms, period. Some married but feel like they're single moms and trying to do the best they can. And they're all over our audience on a given Sunday morning. And they would love to have a celebration like this. I'm ridiculously blessed. I am absolutely well aware of that. I got parents who've been married 65 years. I had grandparents before that, all who had been married all the way to the end of their life. Some of them who came to faith in Christ at the very end of their life and others who began their journey with God. And so when I talk about family and family dynamics, I know I'm unbelievably blessed, but not everybody in our audience is. You're raising those daughters. You wait for that moment when she comes home and said, Daddy, I think I found it. And then you invite him over to your house to make sure he understands how serious this is. I even remember raising teenagers. Everybody hated it at that time. We loved it. We invited all of them over to our house. We had one of those houses where the kids could invite their friends and invite their family. And I wanted these boys to know that I was raising girls and had a lot of guns. And so it was a great environment to be able to have them there. And some of you think, oh, Lord, just don't tell me about teenage years. I'm just hoping to get through this year and next year. And all of a sudden you come to that point and it can be amazing or unbelievably excruciating. And then you wait for that moment when you get the phone call and said, hey, can I sit down and talk to you about your daughter? You've been praying for that since they were born. Since God laid them in their hands, we find ourselves saying, Lord, is he out there somewhere? Has he been born yet? Does he know you? Will he follow you? Will he lead her well? My girls ask me all kinds of questions in the dating years. What is it going to be like and who will you like and will you like them if this and that? And I had all kinds of equations and I said two questions. Does he love you and love Jesus? I'm okay with those two. I don't care if his hair is purple and his feet are brown. It doesn't really matter what he looks like. I don't care any of that. I want to know, does he love you and does he love Jesus? He could be all kinds of colors in between and all kinds of crazy things going on in his life. But I want to know those two things. And for those of you who are raising daughters, you know that as well. Family dynamics can be unbelievably painful, incredibly overwhelming. And then all of a sudden you become a grandparent and it starts all over again. My one grandson is in the hospital since Friday and has been there since. And you keep wondering, is it going to change? And he's got a genetic disorder that keeps him in and out of the hospital every once in a while. And you keep wondering, is this the one and is going to make it? Is he going to come through? I thought it was okay when we could pray with them when they were little girls and then all of a sudden they go out of the house and they're on their own and we're doing our thing. I remember Eric coming home from the uh, honeymoon and I had Aaron's car all packed up and the oil filter there and the amount of time when the oil was changed and all her paraphernalia and all of her cats and all of the dog stuff and everything else. And I said, she's all yours, buddy. <laughs> See ya. 
This is the last time the oil was changed. This is the kind of filter she needs. There's even oil in there. I thought I'd give you one more shot, but from now on, she's yours. And then all of a sudden, the grandkids come in. You find yourself on your face before Almighty God again. It's an unbelievable journey. We've been there for the last couple of weeks. We're going to finish it this morning. You have your sermon notes in your bulletin, and I last Sunday morning began to walk through a lot of these things. A, a lot of it's in your bulletin. We talked about discipline and the necessity of that, and we'll talk a little bit more about it this morning, about the changes and the challenges that come with that, and how important it is that we take our responsibility seriously, that we understand the power of the tongue. It has the power to give life or bring death. And what we say has value to them, and what we say has an impact to them, so I want to make sure that I weigh my words wisely and use them well because I can build them up and I can put wind back in their sails or I can rip them to shreds and tear them apart just with words, let alone the physical aspects that go with that. So be very careful. Make sure that we practice what we preach. They see through that like you can't imagine. They imitate everything we do. I have one staff person that keeps saying to me over and over again, please, dear God, don't bring us another picture of your grandchildren, so I won't. But I would love to show you a picture this morning. No, I'm not. But I remember when we had Ike last summer, and he was over to our house, and he spent two or three weeks with us. And I go out in the backyard, and we live out in the country, and I'm laying on the grass like I normally do and looking up at the clouds and thanking God for all the things he's done. And you know how you always try to find those shapes in the clouds. And all of a sudden, I look over, and he has the exact hands in the same place, his foot up across. I mean, exactly like I was doing. And I thought, wow, God, they really are little imitators. God says, yep, that's why I said, make sure that you're putting the right example in front of them because they will follow you and they will watch you. Fill their mind with proper values. Help them know what's really important. They imitate so well. They want to understand what you believe in, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your resources. They'll learn their values from you. They may not always adhere to them. They may not always follow them. But believe me, they will watch what you value. And they'll make a lot of decisions out of life and on life and about the future based on what they've seen you. They will sometimes run the other direction. I know that. But many times they'll make decisions about that. Build memories in your sermon notes this morning. Make sure you do that. And memories and money don't always go together. Memories and money don't always go together. Sometimes we think we've got to take them to Disney World every third week to make sure they have so many memories in life. I remember taking my kids to a shack on stilts that had an outhouse you would avoid like the plague kind of a thing, and we still have more fun stories about that than the one trip we took to Disney World, and had I known that, I'd have never gone and spent all the money in Disney World. I'd have just taken them up there every year. It's a ball, but you've got to learn how to build memories. Some of the greatest experiences of your life are within the context of building memories, good and bad, but incredible. After one of the life conferences were over, we always, my, my, my theology has always been see the USA on the CMA. It's good theology. So every time the CMA would have a conference somewhere, I'd had a week off and we'd spend time there and there because otherwise we couldn't have gone to those places. And life was in Salt Lake City and we rented a car and decided to drive through Yellowstone. Get in one of those stops where it says, you know, you can get some items and get some drinks and water and food. We did that. And the lady said, are you spending a night? And I'm going, well, no, why? We don't have a campsite. Well, the gate at the other end of Yellowstone closes at eight. I said, like, it's like six. She said, yeah, it closes at 8. I was like, crazy, like 6, 30, 7 o'clock. I don't know what it was. I mean, we went through Yellowstone on back dirt roads at 95 miles an hour in a rented car. <laughs> and my kid, I still remember my kids saying, there was a bear. There was an eagle. There was a moose. You know, 
how they knew what they really were, I don't know. But we had, I had reservations in Cody, Wyoming that I'd already paid for, and believe me, we were going to get there regardless. They still to this day, that was 20, 15 years ago, they still to this day talk about those kinds of things that build memories. Love is unconditional. Rewards can be, but love cannot be. If any amount of any awareness of the amount of kids that have come to me saying, man, I just want to do well in sports so dad will really be proud of me and love me. I, I got to do well in my grades. I just don't feel that. And the, the list is endless of the stories that I've heard in all these years of ministries, ministry. And you just want to make, make sure rewards can be conditional. Love shouldn't be. Can you believe that the God of the universe would send his son so that we could have life forever? Even while we were yet sinners, Romans says, he came and died for us. That's unreal. For me, I wanted to say, do you know what I was like? Why would you do that? And every time I hold those emblems in my hand, I find myself saying, I can't believe you did this. Love is unconditional. And make sure they recognize and are aware of that. Let them fail. Teach them how to lose, for heaven's sakes. Make sure your expectations are clear. Love and appreciation. Continually communicate in your sermon notes. Love and appreciation to your children. Make sure they're clear and avoid or admit our mistakes. Let them see that you're not perfect either. They already know. <laughs> but let them see it. So those are the things we shouldn't do. What should we do? Well, he gives us a, a, a statement. Don't do this. Do this. Build them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. He almost says that as if I know exactly what that means. Build them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. It infers that as a parent, I know what that means. It infers that I'm already doing it. It infers that I am trying to do the best that I can to build them up in that process in the instruction of the training of the Lord. It also infers that I'm in it, that I know what I'm teaching because I'm teaching them instructions in the Lord. And so it infers that I know what that looks like, that I'm doing that in my life, that they're seeing me grow and spiritually develop. And they're knowing beyond what they see or what they hear because of what they see that I'm doing what I'm asking them to do. Other translation uses the word discipline in this context. And many times we think of discipline as punishment for someone who has stepped out of line, like someone standing over us with a club. Sometimes we even see God that way. We need to see discipline not so much as correcting someone who stepped out of line, as teaching them how to get back on track and then the way they should walk. Not so much as someone who stepped out of line, but teaching them how to get back on the path and then teaching them how to walk. That's what discipline is supposed to be. It is the positive aspect of their growing relationship. Discipline physically, I'm absolutely a proponent of that. Not everyone would agree. Probably read too much Dr. Spock. I'm absolutely a proponent of that physical discipline, but it has to be coupled with which way I should go and how it should be done, not just reactionary for the moment. Discipline comes to the word disciple. When Jesus looked to his disciples and saw these guys out there and said, would you follow me? I want to make you fishers of men. I got to believe that most of them got hung up on the fishers part. This looks like a guy who's never fished in his life. We spent all of our lives fishing. He's going to tell us how to fish. He's got something to teach us. Wait a minute, fishers of men. I missed that part. I've been fishing all my life, but fishers of men? I wonder what he sees that I don't see, which is what the discipleship process is all about. I wonder what he sees that I don't see. And as a parent, you see all of these things that you know your children can be. 
and you want to be able to help them understand the potential is there. They can become even more. Discipline is given to the child because you see the potential of that child, not always because of the problems they sometimes cause. Do they sometimes cause problems? Absolutely. But it's not always as a result of that. It's the opportunity for you and I to see the potential they have and to do our best to bring that out of them. And you need to know that children will see a picture of God's discipline in how we do it. They've never seen God, neither of you, and I get that. They see him through the word of God. They see him in a multiplicity of experiences. And Psalms tells us he shows himself in a variety of ways. So does the book of Romans. But they're trying to figure that out for themselves. And you talk to them about God and a relationship with Jesus and what godliness looks like and what God has done and what God's doing in your life. And when it comes to discipline, they're trying to figure out how God responds and reacts to that. And many times they're going to decide about God's discipline based on how we do. And so I want to make sure that I clearly communicate to them what I've seen God do in my life. God disciplines, not punishes his children. He corrects us to make us better. Discipline gets us back on the right path. Proverbs 3, if it's not your notes, write it down. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resist what his rebuke is. Because the Lord disciplines those he what? Loves. It says the same thing in the book of Hebrews. What dad doesn't love his kids enough to discipline them? To put them back on the right track, to help them understand which way they should go. In your notes is the difference between punishment and correction. Punishment is reactionary. Correction can be creative. It needs to be creative. Talk constantly about responding and not reacting. I really wrestle with that one because I have a tendency to respond. I want to be sensitive to the spirit in that area. Punishment is done with me in mind. Correction with a child in mind. Punishment blurs discipline. Correction sharpens discipline. If not done right, they'll miss the point. And so that's why you want to really walk through it well. Got a lot of instructions and guidelines in there for you. You can read them yourself. I want to make sure you do do that. But I, I want to, for a moment, just to stop on number nine. When rules are broken, discipline. Don't say, hey, I'm going to come up there in 15 minutes if you, whatever that may be, and then 30 minutes later still not show up. They need to know there are consequences. I always say to parents, man, pray your kids get caught. When they're... Whatever that may be, pray they get caught. Because they need to understand that sin and going a wrong path has consequences to that. That's a hard prayer to pray. But pray they get caught so that they understand and don't pay the ultimate price for that. Be consistent. Be consistent. Don't say things you don't mean. I, I love those mom and dad statements down through the years. You break your leg, don't come running to me. <laughs> like, how am I going to do that? You want me to give you something to cry for? Nope, I already found it. Thank you. I, I got it. I mean, just fascinating statements. Be consistent. Make sure that they understand what you're saying and why. Instruction is implied that I'm following God's path, and I want to do absolutely everything I possibly can to help them follow God's path. And so I'm going to live it out so that they can watch how I live. You see, the best way to show that Jesus really does make a difference in your life that you've let him take control of your life, that you're taking advantage of the power of the Spirit is by living it out. It's not just what we say. It certainly can be what we say, but it's not what we say. It's how we live it out. The obvious, most visible demonstration of the fact that Jesus Christ has made a difference in my life 
that I'm letting him control my life, that I'm taking advantage of his spirit is the way I live it out, the way I react to life, the way I deal with everything around me. Take these last five messages, for example. Living it out means that when it comes to the opportunity, either corporately or privately, to express my love and adoration for God, it just comes out. I don't have to manufacture it. I don't have to manipulate it. I don't have to work it up. It just comes out. I just want to give a flat-out expression of my love and adoration to God. It has nothing to do with ability, whether I can sing or whether I can't sing. Living it out in the expression of the Spirit of filling, filling my life is that when it comes to those opportunities, corporately or privately, I just express it. Now, this morning, I mean, Dave couldn't have given us a better opportunity with the kind of music that we choose, but just an opportunity to go, God, you're amazing, unbelievable what you've done. I'm filled with gratitude exponentially more than complaints. That I don't have to wait for Thanksgiving. When I'm living it out, I don't have to wait for Thanksgiving to think of things that I'm grateful for. It just comes out. Things I don't like in life, things that I wish were different in life, yeah. But my gratitude so far outweighs my complaints in the negative aspects of life that one is hard to see from the other. When I'm living it out, my marriage is noticeably different. I really do love my wife like Christ loved the church. When I'm living it out, people see that. They see that we serve one another, that we really do love one another. We're not perfect at all, not even close, but we really do want to make sure that Jesus is seen in all of that, that I really do love my wife like Christ loved the church, that I really do treat my husband with respect, that my home is different, really different, not perfect at all, but we are really trying to live this out every day of our life in our home. I treat my parents with respect and obedience. When I'm living it out, I treat my parents with respect. And as a parent, I take full responsibility for the spiritual development of my children. And I do everything I can to see and encourage them to be all that God designed them to be. And finally, if I'm living it out, it is not just evident in my home or in my marriage or in church. If I'm really living it out, it is obvious where I work. I'll be the best employee I can be and respect my boss. And if I'm the boss, I'll treat my employees with the dignity they deserve. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you're serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're a slave or free. And masters... Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, by the way, is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. I looked at this text on a number of occasions down through the years, and it fascinates me that it's not about how I'm treated or even about my rights, but how I respond to my situation and how I do my job. When I look at a section of Scripture like this, it's not about how I'm treated or even what I think is right and fair, but how I respond to my job and how I do it, how I treat people, whether I work for them or they work for me, especially when they're not watching, since in reality, I'm serving Christ no matter where I work. You see, it's not just a job. It is an opportunity to live out what I say I believe. 
It's not just a job. Yep, absolutely. You're getting a paycheck, providing for your family. You're doing the best you possibly can. You're trying to continue to succeed and, and, and develop as a worker, as an employee, as an as a owner, whatever that may be. But it's not just a job. It is an opportunity to live out what I say I believe. What's interesting in this text is that Paul doesn't even address the issue of slavery, which I find fascinating. But how we respond to and treat others. See, in Paul's day, it wasn't about race. It was about roles in the culture of the day. And Paul's desire was to remind believers that their value and their identity were not based on their situation or circumstances, but on Christ, who saw them so valuable that he gave his life for them and calls them sons and daughters of the living God. Regardless of our position on the organizational chart, every one of us have equal standing at the foot of the cross, have equal access to the same Lord who cares deeply how we treat people and will hold us accountable regarding it. Every one of us, regardless of where we are in the org chart, have equal standing at the foot of the cross when we're believers in Christ, have equal access to the same God and he cares deeply how we treat people and will hold us accountable for how we do it. Whether we're working for them or they're working for us. God doesn't show favoritism at all. Neither should we who claim to be his followers. He sees what others see. And how we really are when no one is looking. If God's eye is on the sparrow got to believe he surely sees me. One of my favorite missionary stories is about Bill and Gracie Cuts. Missionaries that went to one of the most foreign, remote places on the planet, Irian Giant, Indonesia. You know that the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church in Indonesia is larger than the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church in the United States of America. That's the amazing things of what God has done through our missionaries down through the years. And Bill and Grace were one of those that went into some of the most remote places on the planet and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that it could cost them a lot to do that. But they gave it everything they had. Bill was responsible for trying to help them build some landing strips so the MAF pilots and some of the supplies and other missionaries could come to some of these remote areas and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and just to give them some of the things that were necessary. Somewhere along the way in life, Bill lost an eye. When it came to trying to help them understand how to do what they needed to do, every time he was there with them, they would do it really well. And they would do the clearing out, they would cut down some of the trees, and they would take everything that was necessary to flatten it out so the plane in some of these unbelievable areas could land in the shortest amount of space possible. But as soon as Bill would leave to go back to the mission station, they would sit around under a tree and do nothing. He'd come back, they'd do everything they possibly could. He'd leave, they sat under a tree, did nothing. So one day, Bill came up with an idea, and this may not be a great idea for some of you here in the room, but Bill took that eye out, and he set it on a post. <laughs> and he said, whether I'm here or not, I'm watching you. <laughs> you have no idea how well they got that landing strip done <laughs> and how fast they completed it. Ever since I heard that story and ever since I see sections of Scripture like this, I'm reminded of that. He sees whether we think he's us or not. Others see whether we think they're noticing or not. Our kids see whether we think they're noticing or not. 
That guy at work that we've been witnessing to and trying to tell him about Jesus and what we do on Sunday morning and why I go to church watches how I respond to life and my clients and how I treat the people around me. He knows whether or not I'm telling this truth on the phone or in front of somebody else. He knows whether I'm trying just to smooth the deal or I really am a person of integrity. They know that. That boss who has a lot of employees who don't know Christ, who aren't living it out, just enough to get by, can't wait to the time clock so they can just punch out and go home. Here's what you talk about, knows how you live, and just wants to watch your work ethic to see if you're really giving it your all. Or you're just like everyone else, just trying to get by for the paycheck. He sees whether anybody else does or not. And I'm telling you, a lot of people see like you can't imagine. I live in a fishbowl. And as minister, you have no idea what it's like to live in the fishbowl where every single person you know knows so much more about you than you ever thought they did. And so I know what that's like. But in a lot of ways, so do you, where you are and what you do. Living it out every day of your life. Expression of love and adoration. Gratitude over complaints. A home that really does value one another. That treats each other with dignity and respect. That loves God and really wants to love our mates, love our family, love our kids. Kids who really are respectful and obedient to their parents. To do everything at work to make sure that when I'm saying on Sunday, I'm living it out Monday to Friday to Saturday, whatever you work. We're going to celebrate communion. I couldn't think of a better way to end this series, or at least to set it aside for a while, than in communion. Because what I hold in my hands every time I celebrate communion is what Christ give, gives to me and what he did for me and the sacrifice he was willing to make so that I could become a son and daughter of the living God. And so every week when I hold these emblems or every time we do, I recognize that he gave his life so that I could have life, and he offers it to me. The world will say you can find life in a hundred other things. He says life, real life, is in me. Forgiveness of sins is not because you went to a confessional or you talked to somebody else. The forgiveness of sin comes because he paid the ultimate price so that you can have life forever. Every time I do membership class, I recognize that we have so many people that come to our services from so many different backgrounds and wonder why we do what we do and why only once a month and do I have to do something beforehand? Should I go talk to somebody before I can take it? I don't go here regularly. Can I even share it? And my answer to the last question is absolutely. It's free to all who know Christ as Savior, who have given their lives to Jesus. And you can do that where you are. Confess your sins to Him. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. He's the ultimate one. He's the only way to heaven. Invite Him into your life and you're free to partake. So all of us, in that context of this section of Scripture that we quote so often out of Corinthians, the writer said, look, I just need to remind you of what he did the night he was betrayed when he took bread and a cup. I also want to remind you to look inside before you partake of either one of them so that the channel between you and him are open and you've looked at all these areas of your life, how I work, how I live, my marriage, my home, my family. No, I know I'm not perfect, but I really do want to live it out every day of my life. So God, in whatever area I'm wrestling with the most, as I spend time with you in these next five to six minutes, would you help me in this one or these ones? Because the world is watching and more importantly so are you gentlemen if you'll come 
We're going to ask you to wait till everyone is served. You'll notice that if you've not been here before, everything is in the same trays to help the person around you. Just hold on to it. Spend some time with God, listening to music and silence and the Spirit of God, and then I'll come back up and lead you to take it so that we can all share it together. I sat there for a moment this morning and realized I've been taking communion for over 50 years. I'm still blown away that he did this for me. I gotta believe you are as well. So in gratitude and a life committed to him, share the bread and then the cup. Father, I hope I never, ever get over the thrill that I am that you gave your life so that we could have life and that you would call me a son of the living God. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, the thrill of following you. I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, as we continue to endeavor to live that out every day of our lives until we see you face to face, that we will be the kind of people that the world sees as different because we are following the God of the universe who set us free and calls us to live it out every day of our life, everywhere we go. Help me, because that's a huge challenge. Thanks for not leaving me alone, but offering me the power of the Spirit to be able to accomplish that. So we give you praise and we give you adoration for allowing us the privilege of being here today and being a part of your plan for giving us your word as instructions as to how to live out the life you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Have a great day today. Uh, God bless you. Next Sunday morning, we're going to begin a new series in the Christmas story. And we'd love for you to, like you've been doing, invite a friend for the next few weeks as we celebrate together. God bless you. Have a great day.